there was a lady and uh, she was a golfer all of her life and uh, she finally had an opportunity to win her club championship and she only had a couple holes left when the rain started to come and it made everything pretty slippery but she had a comfortable lead so she wasn't concerned so she hit a tee ball next to a pond and she went down and uh, to hit her ball to the green and when you know it her club flew out of her hand right into the pond and she cries, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, come and help me. So the Lord shows up and says, what can I do for you, my daughter? And she says, well, my favorite club, I just accidentally threw it into the pond. I'm not going to win the tournament, and I can't hit another shot without that club. And the Lord says, no problem. So the Lord dives down, and he comes up with a club. But it's a golden club, a pure gold club. And he says, my daughter, is this the club that you lost? And she says, oh, Lord, I truly want it to be, but it really is not. And the Lord says, I am so impressed with your integrity. I will go down and get your club. A couple minutes later, the Lord comes back, this time with a silver club, and says, is this the club you lost? And the lady says, oh, Lord, I wish it were true, but it's not so. That is not my club. And the Lord says, I am really, really impressed with your character. It's amazing. She says, thank you, Lord, but I still need my club to finish this round and win the championship. So the Lord goes into the water a third time, and he comes up, and he asks her, is this your club? And she says, yes, Lord, that's my favorite club. Now I'll finish the round and win the championship. The Lord said, I am so impressed by your godliness that I'm going to allow you to keep all three clubs. He says, oh, thank you, Lord. So she finishes out the round. She wins a tournament. A couple weeks later, she's on the same hole with her husband. And she hit a ball down by the pond. And her husband stumbles and he falls into the water. And she cries out, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, help me. I've lost my husband. And the Lord mysteriously appears and says, how can I help you? And she says, my husband has fallen into the water. You need to save him. And the Lord says, no problem. So the Lord goes into the water and he comes up with Brad Pitt. And he says to the lady, he says, is this your husband? And she says, yes, Lord, that is my husband. And the Lord says, I am so disappointed with you. What happened a couple weeks ago? You were endowed with integrity and um, character, but today you've compromised all of that for Brad Pitt. She says, Lord, I am so sorry. You just don't understand. You see, if Brad put... Pat, Brad Pitt would have come up and I would have said, no, he's not my husband. You would have dove in and gotten George Clooney. And then I'd have to be honest about George Clooney and say, he wasn't my husband. You would have dove back in and brought out my real husband. And please understand, Lord, men are so much work. There's no way I could have taken care of all three. That's pretty true, isn't it? All the women said amen, right? <laughs> now today we're going to conclude our series on the cave. The cave. Next week we're going to move out of the cave and onto the mountain. But we're going to talk about the first cave mentioned in the Bible this morning. And this is the cave we never want to get stranded in. This is the cave we never spelunk. This is the cave which we need to avoid at all costs. This is the cave in which we lose everything. This is the cave of compromise. 
In this cave, we find Lot, the nephew of Abraham, losing everything he had, despite the fact that God had blessed him with so much of everything. How in the world did this man of God lose everything in this cave of compromise? Well, you know what they say, life is about choices. Choose wisely. Well, we're going to look at a bunch of choices that Lot made in his journey to see exactly how he ended up in this cave. Now, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can follow the narrative all the way through. We're going to put parts of it on the screen for you. But in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, we read, And Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor, and he dwelt in a cave. Everybody say that with me. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now, Lot's father was Haran, and his uncles were Nahor and Abraham. Haran must have died at an early age because the guardianship of Lot was given to Terah, Abraham's father, and Abraham himself. Now, Terah must have had a pneumatic heart. He couldn't sit still. So he wanted to journey the land. But as they were going through the difficult terrain, Terah must have lost his enthusiasm. And so he and his caravan settled at a small off-the-wall uh, place called Haran. They end up there to stop, but they, but they end up there permanently. And so they go no farther. So Terah uh, died at Tehran at the ripe old age of 205 years old. Can you imagine that, church? 205 years old. And at the time, Abraham receives his call, of which Hebrews 11.10 tells us, to search for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was to leave the place of Haran, the Ur of Chaldees, to go all the way to the future promised land in Cana. Now, although the family business is thriving, Abraham decides he should obey God. How many of you know that's a good thing in life? Obey the Lord. And guess who tags along with him? His nephew, Lot. Now, as they're traveling, the family business uh, flourishes. It is the livestock business. However, with so many grazing animals and so few and too small of pasture lands, the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham began to argue and they began to fight and have spats. There is no logistical solution if the two families stay together. So Abraham, the uncle, goes to Lot with a magnanimous offer. And we read about this offer in Genesis 13, 19. Abraham says to Lot, Is not all the land before you? Please part from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Now, how many know that Abraham is the patriarch? And he had the sole authority to tell Lot where to go and when to go there. But he doesn't. He is a true servant leader. And he goes to Lot and he says, you decide and I will adjust. This is quite, quite abnormal. 
And so, so Lot has a decision to make. Now, custom dictates that Lot defer back to his uncle and say, no, uncle, thank you for the offer, but listen, you choose and I will adapt. Godliness says that Lot should pray about it, to seek the Lord, amen, to get God's wisdom and God's will on where he should abode. But here's what we're going to see about Lot. He's not really into a lot of that stuff, you know what I mean? And then we find out in Genesis, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 19 or 13:10, what truly motivated Lot's decision. And Lot raised his eyes, and he saw the entire plain of Jordan, that it was entirely watered before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you come to Zor. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, ever got lured into a compromising situation because of eye candy? Well, this is what is happening to Lot. The plain of Jordan was beautiful. It was fertile. It was luscious. It was the ideal place to settle the family and to grow the family business. However, Jordan had one massive drawback. And that drawback was it was very close to the Twin Cities, the infamous Twin Cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which had a worldwide reputation of depravity. Let me ask you a question. If we struggle with alcohol, should we decide to hang out in bars, yes or no? If we struggle with pornography, should we go to certain websites or watch certain things on TV? Absolutely not. If we struggle with gambling, should we move ourselves to the middle of Las Vegas, Nevada? Obviously, the answer is not. But if we do, we're only courting disaster. So here we see the first choice that Lot makes, and it is the choice of compromise. Compromising by living in an environment of compromise. And so here is Lot. Now I'm sure he thought he was spiritual enough to live on the um, suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have said, well, you know what? I went to Sunday school and I went to church and heard a million sermons. And you know what? I can handle it, okay? But instead of saying, Lord, deliver me from temptation or deliver me from evil, help me to resist temptation, you know what he does? He jumps right into his U-Haul and he parks it smack dab in the middle of the original Sin City. How many, know, how many do you know that this story doesn't end well, by the way? You can already see, even in the people that we know and love, when they make the kinds of decisions that they make, that this is not going to end well for them. And this story does not end well for a lot. Now, this decision to place himself into a compromising environment is only going to lead to more compromises in his future. As Lot and his wife are setting up home and shop uh, in Sin City, uh, God decides he's done. Um, 
He's done with the two cities. Um, he is going to send messengers there to save any righteous people, and then he's going to blow the twin cities to smithereens. So the two messengers come, and uh, Lot meets them. And he doesn't know who they are or what they're all about. And he invites them to stay overnight in his house, which was an ancient custom. Initially, the two messengers refuse because they don't want to bring trouble onto Lot's house, but then they relent. Now, Lot is exercising what we talk about a little bit here, and that is radical hospitality. Custom dictates that he must bring these people in and treat them, treat them like they are royalty. And as he is exercising the wonderful gift of hospitality, all of their peace is suddenly blown up by loud knocking upon the door, the front door. It is the villagers of Sodom. You see, they spy the two visitors entering into their city, and they track them all the way to Lot's house. They have one sole ambition, and that is to rape these men. Because ancient hospitality demands that Lot protect his guest with his very own life, we see yet another compromise from Lot himself. Because the villagers will not be dissuaded, Lot offers them a choice. Guys, if you really have to violate someone, don't violate my guest, but you're free to violate my daughters if you so desire. Remember what I said just a moment ago, this story's not gonna end as a happy one, right? Now, what kind of father would ever, 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 ever imagine sacrificing his daughters for any reason whatsoever? Instead of praying and asking God to help, instead of doing something else, this is his compromising choice. How many know that when you start compromising, especially in a compromised environment, the next thing that you will compromise are your values, no matter how godly, no matter how ideal they really are. Every time I read this, I say, who said what to who now? How can this thing happen? Thankfully, in some ways, the village people are not, are not going to take Lot up on his offer. So before they can advance with their sexual aggression, we finally understand the true identity of the messengers. They are angels sent by God himself. They go ahead and they blind, miraculously blind the village people so that they may leave the place. Now that's great. How many love it when God bails you out? Put, put up your hand. If you love it, right? The chips are down. You got no place to go. You got no other hope than God himself. And God, in his love and mercy, will rescue us. It's great. How many know that God hates doing that, by the way? Put your hand up. God would rather us not be so tempted and moved into comp compromising situations that we need bailed out. How many know people who are always sorry about their sin? 
okay? And they probably should be. But we pray, God, not only that you would forgive our sins, but that you would also give us the power not to do our sins. As we're going to see in Holy Communion in just a moment, you guys know that Jesus Christ died for the remission of sins so that the power of sin might diminish in our hearts and diminish in our lives. And so Lot and his family get a reprieve. They get a bailout. But this whole thing was totally unnecessary. This harrowing experience should have never happened if indeed Lot did not compromise in the first place. If indeed Lot did not compromise his values. But see, that's the problem. And I know you've heard the old saying, give the devil an inch and how much will he take? Everything, more than a mile, he'll take everything, including your soul. That's why we don't give him any ground, amen? And so after striking the village people with blindness, the angels then reveal their objective to Lot. They warn Lot in Exodus 19, 17. Escape, escape, escape. Now, I don't know about you, if somebody of an angelic fashion or form visits my house and tells me to escape, I'm getting out of town before sundown. How about you? Escape immediately to the mountain. And take your family, and whatever you do, don't look back. And don't stop. For if you do, you will be toast. That's my translation from the Hebrew, okay? You will be toast. But here's where this strange story gets even stranger. After all he's been through, one really doesn't want to evacuate the city. He loves it there. He loves it there. He's comfortable in his compromise. It's okay. It's pagan. It's depraved. It's debased. That's all right. It doesn't affect me. Right, everybody who watches soap operas? Everybody say, oh, me. Okay. I know we're not supposed to be preaching at anybody this morning. Lot doesn't want to leave. Or he'll leave just a little bit, right? Ah, I'll just go over here. I know there'll be an explosion over there. I'm just going to get here, you know. I'm just coming over here a little bit, Lord. This is good, right? This is far enough away. And so he starts arguing. He starts arguing with God through the angels. Listen to what he says, Genesis 19, 18. Lord, a lot argued that if he went to the mountain, some evil would cause his death, and he requested to be allowed to flee instead to the little city, the suburb of Sodom, which, which was closer. How many know that we're great justifiers and rationalizers of everything we do, everything we say, and everything we feel? How many know we're experts at, at that? Every one of us. And so Lot's trying to justify why he needs to be in vicinity 
of the city. How many know that God's not buying it? He never does, right? And have you ever heard that saying, which Lot apparently did not, that beggars can't be choosy. And so he's trying to choose his agenda over the Lord's agenda. Another compromise on his part. You know, when we were speeding down the highway of compromise with our destination of the cave of compromise, we really do take God out of the equation, don't we? Or we just kind of throw God in the, bat, in the trunk, right? Like an old spare tire. Lord, I want to go this way. And listen, if something bad happens, I'll pull you out. You take the wheel for a little while, God, and uh, well, we'll call it even, right? Well, that's what Lot is trying to do here. And the angel is permitted, though, which is interesting to me. And so Lot and his family flee to the small place called Zor. And yet another tragedy happens. Another misfortune occurs when Lot warns his future son-in-laws that there's impending doom going to strike the city. Do you know what they do? They laugh at him. And as I said in the first service, they don't laugh with him. They laugh at him. You see, when you compromise your integrity, when you compromise your values, when you compromise in your walk with the Lord, people see that far, far faster than you do. And you know what? They don't respect it. Lot, in the heritage of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, don't even, don't even get it. Doesn't even get it. He's supposed to be the next in line of the godly saints of Israel. And his future son-in-laws don't even respect him. Let me know that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And that's what he's experiencing. If you compromise, don't expect anybody to respect you because they will not. But time is running out. And so the angels escort Lot and his family to Zor and get them out of the city. And you know the rest of the story. Once they're out of the city, all hellfire and brimstone engulf it. And they watch it go up in smoke. And as the fireworks are exploding all around, Lot's wife defiantly disobeys God again. Hmm, where did she learn all this disobedience? Oh, that's right. She learned it from the compromising husband named Lot. She longingly and lovingly looks back to the city that she loved. In other words, she's a Cosmo girl. She loves the prestige. She loves the luxury. She loves the ease. She loves the entertainment of the big city. She doesn't want to leave it either. You know what happens when she looks back. She's immediately 
calcified. She's petrified into a pillar of salt. Now this is a sad and a cautionary tale. Even so much that Jesus Christ himself brought it up in Luke chapter 17, verse 32. He told his disciples, remember Lot's wife. What are we to remember about Lot's wife? That she looked back to the world. She loved the world. And she also loved to compromise. I do a, a little thing at our family table. Uh, anytime I want to get a little more zest into what I'm eating, I'll just ask my wife to pass me Lot's wife. You know, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? You don't get it, do you? Okay, you can look it up later, I promise you. Okay. Tom Cochran writes this. Tragedy in life normally comes with compromise, which leads, uh, leaves us bereft of our integrity and stripped of our dignity. That's really where failure comes from. I call compromise the best opportunity to lose everything. Compromise caused Lot to lose his wife. Compromise caused Lot to lose his future son-in-laws, his heritage. Compromise caused Lot to lose his family business. Compromise caused Lot to lose his spiritual and his moral authority. Compromise caused Lot to lose his daughters who picked up a thing or two about the art of seduction as they also adopted the ways of Sodom. Now that's another message for another time. But we apply this message and we get more holy and more godly out of this message when we resolve in our hearts that we are not going ever to ever going to compromise our biblical values. Amen? That we're not going to compromise who we are for the sake of this world. Amen? This is why Jesus called his church, that we are the light of the world, we are the salt of the earth, and we are a city set on the hill. Why? Because we don't compromise. Even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. We do not live by the vision and the values of the world. The first time we do it, we begin to lose our light, lose our saltiness, and we're no longer a city set on the hill. And so we must repent, amen, of any of our compromises. And there's only one way out of the cave of compromise. And that is to resolve in our hearts on this day, especially as we go to Holy Communion, that we're not going to compromise anymore. That we're going to do things God's way, amen, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our minds. We are going to run our businesses God's way, amen. We are going to run our families God's way. Amen. We're going to run our church God's way. Amen. We're going to run each and every aspect of our lives in God's way. Amen. And when we start resolving to do that in our hearts, God 
grants us the strength. He grants us the ability. He grants us the power through his Holy Spirit to climb out of the worst cave of all. And that is the cave of compromise. Because it is Holy Communion, I want to send a praise to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ was tempted just about every day he ever lived on this planet. Now, we have a recording of some of those in Matthew chapter 4, three of his biggest or largest temptations. But if you remember, when the devil tempted him, probably with the greatest temptation of all, he took him to a high place, and he showed him the cities of the world. And he said, all of these you might have if you will just bow down and worship me. Now, what is the nature of that temptation to compromise? Jesus Christ made everything in the physical universe, but the temptation to compromise was to avoid the cross. Jesus Christ could have all of that back if and only if a little small compromise, right? What is a momentary genuflect, right? God forgives everything anyhow. Why not compromise? But you and I would not be here today if our Savior compromised even a little bit. He held on to with all of his might God's will, God's calling, and God's passion to go to the cross, to die for us, to be our substitute, our sinless substitute who sacrificed himself for us. He is worthy because he never compromised. He never sinned, not even just a little bit. So he is totally worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our integrity, worthy of our godly character, which we're going to pray is going to be strengthened as we go to the Lord's table today. Will you bow your hearts with me? Gracious God, we thank you so much for this cautionary tale of Lot. We know why he ended up in the cave of compromise. He put himself in compromising situations. He compromised his values. He compromised his integrity. And Lord, if it wasn't for your grace and your mercy to rescue him, he would have perished along with his wife and the rest of his family in that city. God, will you forgive us when we're tempted to compromise so that we might be liked or we might be PC correct, that we might uh, blend in with the world? Forgive us for the times we've accommodated. Forgive us for the times that we've assimilated into the visions and the values of the world instead of the vision and values of the kingdom of God which you died and you rose again so that it might grow and flourish in us. And so, Lord God, as we come to these glorious, glorious elements today, we thank you that this is the table of forgiveness so we can come and be forgiven. We thank you that it is the table of empowerment, the power to resist temptation and to quit compromising. So fill us with your power. Fill us with your grace, fill us with your love as we now participate in this glorious event of Holy Communion. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.